What a year. What a year it's been, and it's been exhausting. It's kind of like we've lived in a year of chaos, and it, it really, to some degree, hasn't shown much change uh, in 2021. Not that I want to focus on that, because I want to focus on the God who is still in charge, even though it may seem like everything's out of control. When you think about it, when you look at the creation story, you see this beautiful story begin. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we started there a few weeks ago. It's a powerful verse. There's so much in that. I just, I just want to keep going back to it. That verse alone leads me to worship. Then he goes in the very next verse and he says, And the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And when you understand that and you unpack that, and you understand that it was chaos. It was an unsustainable life. That formless and void is, is words that they use other places in the Old Testament to describe a desert. You don't live in a desert. You might visit a desert, but you can't live there. It's unsustainable for us. And that's how he describes God's creation. It was chaos. It was void. It was unsustainable of life. And yet in the chaos... God created the heavens and the earth. What a vast expanse that is. You don't see this. Just a note, footnote in your Bible. You don't see the heavens and the earth in a sentence again until chapter 2. But notice what he says in chapter 2. Chapter 2, he said, and the heavens and the earth were finished. Chapter 2, verse 1, and the heavens and the earth were finished. It's almost like you have bookends. You have a time of chaos and disorder and dysfunctionality and a life that's unsustainable over here. And then somehow through God's miracle working power, he creates a life that he, God, can look at. And then he says, it is finished. That's a beautiful thing. Whenever you think about what all God did in his power and what all he can do. And when he said that, he said that on day seven. Now, we probably could tell the creation story and we might get day one right. We might get day three right. But I don't know that many people could get all the order of all the events of everything that was created in its order. But I think everybody can get day seven right. That's the day of Sabbath. That's the day of rest, whatever you might put on that. But whenever you think of that, how did it get there? How does it fit into God's grand scheme of things? My challenge for us today in this world of chaos is that we would reclaim the life that God intended us to have. This whole series is going to be about origins, getting back to God's original design. So wherever you are, are you in a state of chaos, in a state of recreation? Or maybe you're looking at your life and go, okay, it's pretty good right now. Well, guess what? Chaos will be around the corner someday. But is the same God who's in your chaos going to be the same God that's in your finished work? Is it going to be the same God in your days of recreation? I hope that you know him, experience him, walk with him as he walks with you and he does what he does. And what you find in Genesis chapter 2, so be finding that, is you find three conclusive statements from God. He said, God finished, God blessed, God rested. God finished, God blessed, and God rested. Now just hang on to those words. 
Because I want you to look at your life and go, okay, if this is God's order, if this is God's rhythm, how does my life fit into that? Can I look at my life and go, yes, I can walk away from my task, my days, my weeks, my journeys, and go, it's finished. Can I walk away and look at it and bless it? Can I walk away, and we're going to talk about what that blessing means in a moment. Or can I walk away and rest in the work that God was able to do through me? When you look at your life, is it a chaos? Is it a, a list of unanswered emails? Is it a list of, 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 of things that you have yet to get done to fulfill the expectations of the people in your life? And I'm, this is not an organizational management message. In fact, you'll find out by the end of this message that you might need to walk away from some of the things that are on your plate. There's some words here, some key words that I really want you to grab hold of, okay? Key words that you might want to even study thir- further on throughout the week. First word is the word Sabbath. That's why we say it in the English, Shabbat is how they say it in the Hebrew. And it's a key critical word. It's not used in this passage. However, it will be used later on. They're going to use Genesis chapter one, uh, chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 to be the model, the template for what will be called Shabbat later on in the scriptures. So when you come to Shabbat, we need to understand it because it is throughout the scriptures. 52 different times, 52 different times Shabbat or Sabbath is used in the scriptures. It's used in the Old Testament. It's used in the New Testament. So don't let anybody tell you, oh, that's an Old Testament thing. I'm in the New Testament. I'm under grace. No, it is in the Old and it is in the New. It is throughout. Jesus endorses it. Jesus models it. Jesus walks with it. Now the Pharisees, yes, they do. They distort it and they, they, they mess it all up. But let's just hang with that. That Sabbath is a key critical concept to get down. The second word that I want you to zero in on is rhythms. That our life is made to run in rhythms, cadences. There's meter and rhyme and there's, there's, there's certain parts about us, just like a good music. You would never play a music and music would stay at the same tone and pitch all the way through. There's pauses, there's refrains, there's, there, there's different parts of it. Just like when David is writing the Psalms. He's writing the Psalms and he inserts a word in there every now and then you'll read it and it's the word Selah. And it is literally a holy pause in the song of the Psalms. It's a pause that is divine, that is intended to be there for us to stop and to reflect on the goodness, the greatness of God. But here's what Satan has done. He has come into our world, into our existence, and has done everything in his possible imaginative powers to destroy us from the rhythms that God created us to beat to. A beat of the drums that we are supposed to dance to. This, this certain cadence that we're supposed to live to. And he has stolen it from us. So beware of Sabbath. Beware of rhythms. Beware of sacred rest. And I have to put the word sacred rest on there because I'm not just talking about a day off. You work six days a week and you get a day off. Eugene Peterson, who I admire immensely, I'll even quote from him later on, he calls a day off a bastard Sabbath. He calls it that. I don't call it that. Okay, I'm just repeating him. I'm just a messenger. But I like the way where he's going with that. He says, if you're calling your day off, your Sabbath, you're missing 
the meaning of Shabbat. Because it's not a honey-do list day. It's not a catch-up so you can get ahead day. It's not a day that you can uh, just, just erase off and sleep in all day, although rest should certainly be a part of that. It is a sacred moment. It is a sacred rest. It is a part of the rhythms of which God has created. And we've only looked at, after today, we've only looked at 34 verses in Genesis since the beginning of this series. 34 verses. But I want you to notice this. That Satan has done everything in his power, in his magic power, in his power, whatever it is, the limits that he has. He's done everything in his power to distort, to steal, to take away what God created for us to live in and abide in. He's taken away the Godhead. Verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1. Now, I'm not just talking about atheism. Atheism is less than 10% of American population. I want to tell you what is one of the greatest forms of atheism is what I want to call secularism. Secularism is whenever I can live my life with or without God. I've got my life figured out. I really don't need God. I really call secularism practical atheism. And there are a number, and I myself included, have lived my life in many days and many moments as a secular Christian. Secular Christian. Living my life without the need for God because I've got this figured out. Thank you so much. Let us beware that Satan is trying to steal God from us. He's trying to steal God's creative narrative. He's trying to make us from slime and tadpoles and seaweed in this evolutionary chain that you came up out of the the primordial state and that now here you are. That is literally teaching you that you are the Godhead. When in reality, we descended, we, uh, we, we came from God. We are a part of his creation, which then leads me into what I talked about last Sunday, how he has stolen our identity. He has made our identity where we are confused with our identity. There is dysphoria with our identity. We don't know who we are and how we fit in. And so therefore we are confused about our identity and we stake it on our race or we stake it on our, on our position in life or we stake it on so many other things. And all of those things can crumble in a heartbeat. But in reality, what God wants to do is to help us to be known that you are who you are because I made you, because I've made you a part of my image to reflect my likeness. I made you and blessed you and breathed into you. I'm the one who knitted you in the womb. You're not an accident. You didn't get here by an accident. I have a beautiful, awesome plan for your life. Now let that be your identity. Can I get an amen to that? Because if you want to know what your self-worth is, don't listen to pop psychologists or pop counsel or pop thinking out there, popular culture. Read the scriptures. Read Genesis 1. You were made in the image and likeness of God. God breathed into you his eternal being. But another thing that he has stolen is what I want to call a balance of life. Now next week, another thing that we will talk about that we need to get back to is the blueprint for marriage. God had a blueprint for marriage. We'll talk about that next week because that's another thing that has been distorted and stolen and messed up in our day and age. But this week, the balance of life. 
the cadences and the rhythms of life and how he made us to function and be with Sabbath and rhythms and sacred rest. It's a beautiful gift from God. If you tune me out of all the rest of the messages, you will do yourself a disservice today if you tune me out. Because God has given you something in his perfect order that is beautiful and powerful and life-giving. So take your Bibles and let's look at Genesis chapter 2. Again, hopefully you don't get lost. It's the very first book in the Bible. Chapter 2. Here we go. Thus the heavens and the earth. The second time. Again, the second book in of the creation narrative. The heavens and the earth were finished. Now you're going to notice some, several words that are going to repeat themselves. I'm just going to point them out. And all the host of them. So that means everything in the heavens and the earth, all things from A to Z, every galaxy, every star, all of it was created and it was finished. And on the seventh day, God finished. The second time the word finished shows up. God finished, underscore that. His work and he had done and he rested. The first time rested shows up on the seventh day from all of the work that he had done done, emphasizing the work that he has done already two times. And then the second thing that God did, so God blessed the seventh day, the second time. Again, he mentions the second or the seventh day, and he made it holy. He made that day holy because on it, God rested the third activity of God from all of his work that he had done, the third time he had done in creation. Key words, God finished, God blessed, God rested. What can we learn about rhythms of life, balance in life? What example can God give us today to having and living a balanced life. People interview for jobs and they walk away from jobs or they leave jobs or they take jobs because of what? Work-life balance. People have lost marriages because of poor work-life balance. Again, it's one of the Satan's tools that he wants to get in and distort and mess up. So how is it that I balance life out? It's a tension that you're going to have to manage. But here's the number one example that God gives us is that work should be done with excellence. Jot it down. It's not, okay, this is some motivational, do work harder, whatever. But listen to this. God worked with excellence, therefore we should work with excellence. In fact, a statement that we say around here often is excellence honors God, because it's what he did, and it inspires people. Nobody wants to be a part of a junk. Nobody wants to be a part of a half-baked anything. So really, when you look at what God did, he did what he did, and he finished it. It wasn't half-baked. Look at those, those two phrases again. He says, he created the heaven and the earth and is finished in verse 1. And then he comes to verse 2 and he says, on the seventh day, God finished his work. Zeroing in on those two phrases. God finishes his work. The word Hebrew word finish here is the Hebrew word kala. And it means to, to bring to an act of completion. It was done. It wasn't halfway done. It wasn't half-baked. It was done. It was, God could even look back at it. And I think we learn from God a work ethic. Parents, if your kids are nodding off right now, nudge them and tell them, listen to this section right here. 
Because having a good biblical work ethic is incredibly important and God models it for us. Now notice that whenever God worked and how we should work, if we're going to model the the work patterns of God, is that he had both a quality and a quantity in both everything that he did. Whenever he created, what did he do? He created a, a, qual- a quality of work each and every day. Day one, he created the light at the end of that day. He said, it's good. Day two, he, he, he creates the land and, and the water and he separates them two out. And he says, it is good. And then he creates vegetation. So yes, he created salads. Eat your salads. And he said, it was good. He created the fish and the birds. He said it was good. He created the animals and it was good. And on the last day, on the sixth day, he created the animals and he created the humans. And he said it is very good. Now hang on to that thought for a moment because not only did he give us a quantitative element, he gave us a qualitative element in that he creates everything and it was good. And not only this, notice that the work on Friday afternoon was better than the work on Monday morning. It was very good. So God is modeling for us a quality, a standard, and the word good is the Hebrew word tov, and it means good, beneficial, pleasant, beautiful, happy, right. Listen, Christians, you ought to be the best employees your boss has. There ought never to be a question of the character and the quality of your work. You don't work when the, what would they say, uh, um, the mice is gone or mice play around. Yeah, 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 y'all get it, y'all got it. Uh, I'll never get it. The cat's the way the mice will play, isn't that it? That's it. Listen, when your boss comes back, when the cat comes back, let him notice the work is good, very good. There's a quality, there's a quantity of our work ethic in there. And notice again that I mentioned this last week real quickly, but God actually believes in work. It's in God's perfect world. It's not, I know we're not, there's things we don't like about work. That's Genesis chapter three. We'll get there in a few weeks, okay? But in in Genesis chapter one, he's creating work. And work is a good thing. The very first work that he gives them is in verse 26 whenever he he actually puts them over, puts humanity, puts Adam and Eve over the fish of the sea. He says, you have dominion over the sea. Verse 28, he says, you you also, not only the fish of the sea, but you also have the land that you need to take care of and you need to subdue it and have dominion over it. So if it's in the water, we have dominion over it. If it's on the, on, on the land, we have dominion over it. There's a responsibility here. The first job that humanity was given was an environmentalist. That's not a democratic party platform. That's a biblical challenge to all of us. And if those two verses don't get, get it to you, then let me give you one more. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. In God's perfect world, he put him in a garden, and he said, the Lord took the man, he put him in the garden of Eden, and he told him to work it and to keep it. To work it and to keep it. The word keep it is to care for it. It's the word shamar, and it means the idea of literally caring for something. It's used later on, that same word is used later on in, in the book in the book of Numbers to describe caring for the tabernacle elements, taking care of them. 
So we have a responsibility to take care of. There's a quality and a quantity of work that you see modeled with God. So we should work as God works. That's the biblical standard for us. But this is exactly the way Jesus lived his life. When Jesus came to this earth, he tells us in Mark 10, 45, that he came to, or he tells us that he came to be a ransom for all mankind, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. When you go to Jesus on the cross, and what do you find? Jesus had seven statements that he said on the cross. The last words, he was gasping for air, and he gives a qualitative and a quantitative statement. What is the qualitative statement that he gives? He said, "It." He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. See, Jesus went to the cross, he hung on the cross, and he forgave the people that were putting him on the cross. Let that sink in. There's a quality in that. Because there's sometimes we look at the people around us and we go, yeah, I'm going to quit because I don't like them. They don't like me. They don't appreciate me. Jesus had an entire week that probably every day he wanted to write his resignation letter of being the Savior of the world. But thank God he didn't. That he hung on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But there's also a quantitative work. He stayed there until the work was done. And the last statement he makes hanging on the cross, he said, it is finished. Just ironically, just like God said of his creative order, he said, it is finished. So Jesus says, so whenever you read the, the, the creation narrative, you're literally reading the gospel. That Jesus came, he lived, he worked, he served, he did what he came to do, to live, suffer, and die for us until it is finished. And then he went and he rested on Saturday in a grave. We have been living the gospel story when you read Genesis chapter 1 and you live Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, chapter 2. Let us understand that we... As followers of Jesus, work with excellence, but we also work to worship. Our work should be something that leads us to worship. We don't worship our work. Don't hear me that say that. We work to worship. That literally we could take the, wor- the works of our hands, the things that we do, and we can use them as acts of worship to God. We're all worshiping something. The problem is that so many people are worshiping their work. This is the way Gordon Dole put it. He said, most middle-class Americans tend to worship their work, work at their play, and play at their worship. As a result, their meanings and values are distorted. Their relationships disintegrate faster than they can keep them in repair, Their lifestyle resembles the cast of characters in search of a plot. Why? Because we have allowed Satan to distort what work is and what worship is. Notice what what, what God does in verse 2. He made a day holy. He says, so God blessed, verse 3, so God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. God blessed it and he made it holy. Do you realize the very first thing that God said was sacred was not a building, this building or any other building, the tabernacle or the temple. He didn't say that. He didn't look at marriage at Adam and Eve and say, this is sacred. 
He will do that. We'll talk about that next week. There will be a sacred element to that. The first thing that God called sacred was Shabbat. It was holy. It was a time where we take a holy pause from the rat race. We turn off the notifications. We walk away from the to-do list. We dwell and we set and we worship our, our great and sa- uh, Lord and Savior. Why do we Sabbath? Three reasons why. One is Sabbath is modeled by God in Genesis chapter 2. Secondly, Sabbath is commanded by God in Exodus 20. Now, I think it's commanded by God because God's not trying to limit us or take a day away from us or, 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 or rob us of something. Actually, every time he gives us a command, he's trying to bless us. He's trying to protect us. He's trying to put us on the right course. So how is it that Sabbath is so important that not only, listen to this, not only is it a part of the Ten Commandments, but it's smack dab in the middle of the Ten Commandments. But not only that, there's more words written on the Sabbath than any other of the commands. Why did he devote three verses to one command? He didn't do that to any of the other verses. Because I think it creates the perfect balance of our life. When you think of the first commandments, how we relate to God. When you think of the back commandments, how we relate to others. How are we going to balance this out unless sometime in the middle there is a day of the week that we calibrate, that we realign, that we put things in their proper order, that we realize I'm not God, that he is. When I realize that I need to care for others because that's the way God would want me to do. You see the balancing thing happens here? Sabbath somewhere in the middle is the balancing tool to keep us balanced in our relationship with God and in our relationship with others. Because we have to stop. We have to push pause. We can't keep plowing ahead. We can't keep running over. We can't keep getting the task done because we're pausing in a holy rhythm rhythm of sacred rest. Number three is the Sabbath is available through Christ. You get Sabbath, you receive Sabbath, not because you just simply mark off your calendar and call it Sabbath or Shabbat. Sabbath happens to you, in you, around you, through you, a part of you whenever you are in a relationship with Jesus. Very critical to this. It's not a place. It's not a thing. Some people try to find Sabbath, Shabbat in a thing, in a pill, in a bottle, in a piece of clothing. It it brings them comfort. It brings them Shabbat for only a moment. Some people try it in a, in a place. They climb up a mountain. They go in a deer stand. They, they get on a river or a stream. And I, listen, there's nothing that brings me great joy than to be on a mountain or to be in a, out in nature. But I also realize I leave that and I leave all that behind. And I come back to the rat race of this world. How is it that I'm able to live and abide in Shabbat? And that is through Jesus. Notice what he said in Hebrews. I told you Shabbat, Sabbath is throughout the scriptures because we need to realize this. Rest is found in a person and not in a place or a thing. Life principle for you. He tells us in Matthew eleven twenty eight, I will give you rest. 
That's where your, your rest is going to come through me. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9 to 11 says, So there will be a special rest, a special rest. Not any kind of rest, not something you're going to find a pill or a bottle or a place or anything else. You're going to find this special rest. How are you going to find this special rest? Waiting for the people of God. It's not for everyone, it's for the people of God. For all those who entered into God's rest. Notice this word entered into God's rest. Have rested from their labors just as, the, just as God did after creating the world. Again, the model for us is God rested after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. I'm reading through the book of Hebrews right now in my own personal time with the Lord. And um, I noticed when I came to chapter 4 a couple of weeks ago. Chapter 3, I noticed it first. Chapter 4, I really noticed it. Then a course of two chapters, and actually only the course of about one and a half chapters, because he starts at the end of chapter 3. Ten different times he uses the word entering or enter, entering or enter. And all the time, it's always associated to rest, to rest. What does it mean to enter rest? Entering rest or not entering into rest? I've just been dwelling on that. Because I can understand taking rest, taking a Sabbath. That's probably how I would normally say it. I'm taking Sabbath. But actually what he calls us to enter it. This is my reflections. Taking rest, you're in control. I'm choosing to take it. Entering rest, rest controls you. Taking rest happens from the outside in. I choose to take it. I hope it sinks deep enough into my soul that I can get a good hour of just at least one good hour of deep sleep tonight. Toss and turn for the other seven, but I don't know. Rest happens from the inside out. It's like all, excuse me, hell can be breaking loose out here, but there's a tranquility on the inside that enables me to carry on. Helps you live, gives you life. You do it alone. Versus entering rest, you do it with Jesus. Listen, I don't know about you, but I went to college and made it through college on power naps. Anybody identify with that? Those power naps, those 10, 15-minute naps, maybe 20 minutes, anything beyond 20 minutes, and I was going into a deep cave at that point and not coming out for a while. So power naps, something I could do and make it and go for another couple of hours and then eat some pizza and go for a couple more hours and power nap it my, my way through college. You can do that for a while. You can do that for a season. You can do that when you're young. You can't do that forever. You've got to have some deep abiding rest. And you won't get it in a place and you won't get it in a thing. You're going to get it in a person. And that person is Jesus. We work so we can worship. Number three, we work at rest. And I'm telling you this, you have to work at rest because it's not going to come naturally. You're going to have to say, okay, stop world. I'm getting off here. I'm turning off the notifications. I'm leaving my phone in the other room. I'm not going to check my email. I don't have to be productive in this time slot. This is a time that I am carving out. I am taking back. I am giving it over to God. And I want you to notice what it said in scripture here, because if you're not careful, you will fly right past it. It says in verse two, it says, on the seventh day, God finished. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I thought God finished on day six. Remember? That was the day that he kind of wrapped everything up and said it was very good. 
God didn't finish until day seven. That tells me something. That day seven is just as important as day six. That my rest is just as important as my work. But I also want you to notice this. That we as followers of God do not work till we can rest. We rest so that we can work. When God worked, he worked for six days. He created mankind. Day seven comes. The very first 24-hour clock that we get, what is it? It's a day of rest. So we don't work to rest. We rest so that we can work. We work from the rest that we have in Christ. We work from the Sabbath that we take. And if we don't take it and let it abide a part of us, it, the world will take us. But by, by, by the way, why is God resting anyway? I mean, he's God. He doesn't need to rest. I mean, really? Well, if you had made a hundred of billions of stars and a hundred billions of galaxies, you might need to rest too. But seriously, God doesn't need to rest. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28 says, have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. Isn't that beautiful? Yes, look at the next statement. He never grows weak or weary. So just when you think God's not listening, he doesn't have time for me. I can't bother him. The man upstairs with the big stuff or my little stuff down here. No, he doesn't get tired. He doesn't get weary. He is available. Realize this though. God chose to rest. Because rest is a part of the rhythms of his sacred creation. He chose to rest. He didn't need to rest, which is critical for us to understand. There are huge practical and theological ramifications to that. Notice on day seven that God chose rest over work. The problem is, is many of us choose work over rest because we got to get it done. We got to sell one more widget to Walmart. I got to get that email. I got to close that deal. I got to be, I feel sorry for real estate agents. I mean, you're always on call, just like those in ministry, always on call. Well, here's what one person told me. Mike, if you're always available, you aren't worth much when you are available. And the same God who said that he is the Lord of the harvest In Matthew chapter 9, the same God said he's the Lord of the Sabbath in Matthew chapter 12. So he is the Lord of both. And we must have our time of work and we must have our time of rest. And God gives us rest. In fact, in Mark chapter 2 verse 27, he said, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It was a gift from God. How do you Sabbath? And I want to wrap with this. Not wrap. I want to wrap it up with this. How do you Sabbath? How do you Shabbat? How do you take that sacred rest? Here's number one. Cease striving. Cease trying to get it all in. Cease trying to make everyone happy. Cease trying to, trying to please everyone, meet everyone's expectations. Leave some things in the to-do list. Leave some email in the inbox. You're going to have to walk away 
The idea of Shabbat in its very etymology of that word is not Saturday, is not a, a, a holy day. The very word itself in its etymology means to cease. Shabbat, stop. Stop the action, stop the activity, stop the thinking, stop the, the planning, stop the doing. It's used at other times in Scripture. In Psalm chapter 46, verse 9 and 10, it says this, He makes wars to Shabbat to cease. So then the very next statement is our point of application. Stop fighting. Other translations, it says, be still. He's going to make the war cease. He's going to fight some of those battles. Be still and know I'm God. The problem is, is we don't cease. Probably the best, if you struggle with Shabbat, Sabbath, the best book out there on it, outside of the Bible, uh, is Subversive Sabbath. The author says this. He says, I have come to believe that Sabbath cannot save your soul, but will very may save your life. Eugene Peterson says this. He says, Sabbath, again, one of my mentors, I read everything that he puts out, has put out in his life. He's gone to be with the Lord now. He said, Sabbath, keeping, provided a certain detachment. We need detachment from the world's ways of doing things, from their own compulsion to take things into their own hands, keeping Sabbath a day studied and vowed resistance to doing anything so that they could be free to see and respond to who God is and what he is doing. See, it takes us out of the throne of the universe, puts God on the throne of the universe. Then because I'm resting, because I'm listening, because I'm recalibrating, because I'm aligning, now I can, listen, stop the madness. Chasing the kids from this sports team to that sports team, that travel team, that tra- the, the job, the job is going to be there Monday. The tasks are going to stop it back out of it and say this is God's. And embrace, number two, embrace the limits. Embrace your limits. You can't do it all. You can't accomplish it all. And that's okay because this may be earth shattering to you. God didn't intend for you to do it all. In fact, many times we take on things that he never intended us to take on. And that's why he says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 29, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. All you who are weighted down, burdened, burdened, can't get it all done, can't meet everyone's expectations, come to me. What, was it, what are you going to do when you come to me, God? What, am I, what are you going to do? Come to me and I will give you rest. Because what we're gonna, he's going to do, he's going to recalibrate our lives into a, de- a better rhythm and a sustainable lifestyle. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. The last words, read it out loud with me. And you will find rest for your souls. Listen, this is not an easy year, not an easy season. And the life is pulling and pushing at me just like it is at you. And I go back to October 2019. And I can nearly take you back in my journal to where a time when I was just about burned out. And that was before 2020 ever came. 
And it started in October, and I was thinking a lot of things that needed to change or get right or shuffle around. And then 2020 comes. There are some events of January that just compounded. There were some events of February that compounded. Things just kept compounding. Oh, let's throw a global pandemic into it. And then let's take Easter out and let's take the church out. Let's put it all online. There was so much. And then let's have some race riots and some race confusion going on in our culture. And then let's have some political upheaval going on in our culture. And then let's have everyone's expectations critically looking. And I'm like, oh my gosh. I am literally coming into 2020 burned out, ready to throw in the towel. How am I going to make it? Listen, days off, day off, it's not biblical. I love it when it happens. You don't have to take a day off, but Sabbath is biblical. And I can tell you right now, I wouldn't be here today through the tension, the stress, and the expectations, I was awake this morning at 2.30 in the morning. I'm not trying to get sympathy. I'm just saying my head is constantly going with oh, what's going to happen next, what's out there, and how am I going to fix and solve this issue? Here's, what, here's, here's, here's the tension. I can, I've only, and this is, this is the God-honest truth, I have not been able to make it outside of regular Shabbats. Stopping, recalibrating, listening, letting him be the God of the universe and not me try to be the God of the universe. Where are you at right now? Would you bow your heads with me? If you're watching online, don't move around. Please control as best you can in the environments you're in to give yourself space. Time and space calibrate, to realign, to allow God to be God and you let go of the reins of the universe. You give God your best, you give him your all, you give your work your best, your all, but then you back away and you say, God, it's yours. I'm giving it to you as an act of worship. And I am going to enter into your rest. God, you know where we're at. We can't hide. Some of us are crying out. We need to know you, God. We need to experience you, God. Lord, we need to recalibrate. We need to put a Selah in our life. Holy. wasn't finished, God, until you paused. We work from rest, God. Thank you for that. Take the next 60 seconds. Listen to the still, small voice of God. 